0: You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, December 13th. Dear listeners, as we draw ever so near to the holiday closure, which starts on Monday, December 25th, and concludes on Tuesday, January 2nd. I am left wondering how 2023 passed by so quickly. With another amazing year in the books for IT services and UC San Diego at large, what better way to reflect on all that we have accomplished than to check out the 2022-2023 to 2023 IT Services Annual Report. So to do so, visit the IT Services drop-down menu on the Blink homepage and click on About Us. From there, select Goals and Achievements in the left side menu and Annual Reports. And then finally, view Annual Report 2022 to 2023 on the main page. If you've ever been curious about the breadth of work that IT Services provides to the university, this document is the perfect place to start. And this is the perfect opportunity to thank all of you for your hard work and contributions as we wind down this 2023. And as all good things come to an end, today's episode will be the final podcast of this year, so it's only fitting that we welcome back our CIO, Dr. Vince Kellen, to the show. I got to sit down with Vince and look back on the past year, discuss the current and future state of AI at UC San Diego, and so much more. So let's get to it. I know you're busy. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. When this episode airs, it will be two days after the 2023 ITS Employee Appreciation festivities that are happening on the 11th. So it seems like a good time to start with just a look back at 2023 and uh, I did it quantitatively. If you could pick three of the most unexpected changes affecting ITS in that time, what would they be?
1: Well, I think in 2023, the the first thing that leaps off the page is AI, right? Mm -hmm. So AI is kind of hit everywhere all at once, all the time. And we've been part of it. And I think we've done a great job of, of, getting ahead of it, understanding it, jumping in. lots of people inside ITS are part of that AI community of practice and are sharing ideas and thoughts and building things. So that's fantastic. So I think that's number one. Um, I think number two is the ongoing development of uh, an improvement in uh, financial systems and, and the new enterprise systems we put in place. Uh, so all the work uh, to refine and improve that uh, over the last few years has, has been noted and very good. Uh, so I think it's not quite a change, it's more of an uh, an evolution, but I think that's been, been going well. But other than that, I don't have a third unexpected change. Really the AI was uh, maybe a little bit unexpected. I think the continued success of the uh, enterprise system optimization, moving that along is, I won't say unexpected, but it's been, uh, Good to see. Do you have any in mind?
0: <laughs> Do I? Have any? Well, you know what? Yeah. Coming from uh, how close I am with faculty and, and some yeah. students, um, it's it's hard to ignore AI as being a major factor in, in the, the world climate regarding technology over the last year. Uh, so, yeah, no, no, not, not really. I think it's still going to be focused on AI other than... I guess what's surprising is how quickly uh, the evolution has progressed yes. with uh, instructors just knowing that this is a possibility, how to use it in their instruction, how to detect it in their what they receive from students, uh, how students have adopted it. It's really just ingratiated itself in all of our lives very very quickly well,
1: I think uh, you hit so- I think you hit something there mm-hmm. um in that yes I would agree that a bit of a surprise for me is how receptive the university community and many communities have been uh to it and I think kind of how savvy people are being about you know where do you, you know what to think about it mm-hmm. you're not all their answers to the ultimate question of the universe on it, um, they're really focusing on, I think, where the gain can be gotten from it. Uh, you know, by and large, pretty well. So I think that's a bit surprising.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious that uh, the next question is going to be about a very specific piece of generative AI, which was is the upcoming Triton GPT. Um, It's rapidly approaching. We have now an introductory module available in our learning center. I took it myself. Uh, So I wanted to get your thoughts on the revolutionary release of Triton GPT coming up. And if you have any specifics, just uh, some ITS-based applications that Triton GPT could enable. I'm wondering if it's floating around.
1: And I'm going to make sort of a, a high-level comment. I think when new technology comes out and it feels reasonably obvious to the user, like, oh, that follows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll use an example. The iPad, when it came out, the response from the users was, this follows. You know? However, up until that point, not a single supplier thought that would be true. Everybody thought we don't need an iPad. An iPad's a waste of time. It does, It's not going to work. You know, market doesn't need it. And to an extent, generative AI has had a similar thing when it works well because it just kind of follows naturally. And so that's a good thing. Triton GPT is bringing that to us. Uh, we're doing it in a protected, secure way uh, on premise. One that helps really control our cost and brings the cost way down for us. Um, but it also gives us the safety to experiment uh, without being hamstrung in our experimentations so that we can get it to work pro- properly uh, for the institution. And I think the biggest thing about Triton GPT is we're focusing it on UC San Diego content. Mm-hmm. So it's an example of what I wrote about vertical AI, AI that is now tapping into proprietary data about the institution and trying to capture that knowledge that people can find it.
0: So uh, Triton GPT being able to uh utilize the proprietary data from our university in order to train itself, that is one of the reasons for the walled garden of Trident Triton GPT is is to yes. keep it inbound.
1: Securely. And we want to keep you wanna keep it that way. Um, I think, uh forever. I mean, um I'm not a fan of the large OpenAI, you know, like OpenAI and Google and those people trying to absorb everybody's data to put it in their model. I think this has profound repercussions for writers, creative people, anybody who generates content. Do I want to give a bot the ability to recreate my stuff, you know, without my one consent and two without my reward from it? Uh, Obviously, that's the issue of Hollywood. It's also an issue for organizations, uh, not just individuals on the creative side, but organizations uh, on it. And that's this, this conversation is uh, exactly as I've described. It is underway with CIOs in every industry across the globe right now and every corporate executive media and 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 content companies. Same that conversation. I was talking to a large uh, publisher of books that has nine terabytes of booked in. And he was trying to explain to the board, no, we are not giving Open AI, those books. They're our books. We're not going to let them create new books based on our books.
0: That's really, that's really interesting. Uh, Another thought popped up, and this is not in the list I sent you, but uh, it just kind of came to me is uh, the quality of responses. So, for example, with Triton GPT or with Triton GPT using our own proprietary data, one of the words that came up a lot last year when chat gpt was released was hallucinatory or hallucination uh, regarding incorrect responses or information that was incorrect Uh, this will also filter that uh potentiality from our system
1: well it not totally but yes it does reduce there will always be a hallucination possibility and just like humans we Mm confabulate we Fill in the blank on a sentence with what we think is true at the moment, but then when we reflect them, we go, No, that's actually not what I meant to say, or that's not my recollection now that I had the time to think about it. And the generative models have this same issue. So the thing I want to stress for everybody is the research is pretty clear. The individuals who benefit the most from generative AI tend to be novices in a domain or people newer in a domain and people who exhibit critical reasoning skills, who can skeptically evaluate things and not slavishly copy and paste from the generative AI into their thing, but actually reflect on it and then use it. And I think that's a great lesson. Uh, it's a great lesson for students to learn And say enter the market. Your critical reasoning skills now are even more critical than ever before. Uh, and when you combine that with the generative AI, you can go faster and better than you did before. Hmm. Uh, The soundbite I give is, just because computers get smarter doesn't mean I get to become dumber. Mm, I like that. And what you're describing really does
0: seem to me like something that has always had to happen is uh, looking at any text through a lens of critical thinking, whether it's a textbook, the Internet, Wikipedia this is just a new
1: Google search. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it really does. All it changes is the speed with which I get the information. It does overconfidently state things. Right. Um, but as you know, when you push back at it, it all says, Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, you're right. You know? And, and I think the technology will improve in that regard, uh, for that. Uh, so I I'm fascinated as all heck by the new technology I, Gosh, wish I was a young one starting out, uh, you know, in my career right now, because I actually think this is going to become the dominant software development paradigm. You know, what we know as Java or Python will give way to, you know, uh, development in this realm. And, you know, you think of interfaces, too, we got the tethered interface with the large screen, and then we got the mobile interface. Well, we have a third one now called the conversation interface. Yes. And it may not even have text. It might just be voice back and forth. This is fantastic in certain cases where uh, either site is a problem um, or mobility and where you're at is a problem. Um, I've often thought if I had to recreate Excel <laughs> as a conversational inf- uh, interface, it could work. It could say, hey, um, take my budget from my bank account and subtotal it by these. Show me a chart. Oh, thank you. Um, Send that to my wife via email. You know, things (laughs) like that, you know.
0: It's it's interesting because I have read certain articles that compare the revolution to the Gutenberg press and
1: the industrial revolution. Do you think that's hyperbolic or? It's a a little hyperbolic um, and because the Gutenberg press and the internet worked in an extraordinarily fundamental mm-hmm. level of transport. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just raw transport. In the case of the internet, raw transport of information in, in Gutenberg, same thing, raw transport via a paper of information. This is really about remixing knowledge and having knowledge then flow through the human through um, still undetermined processes. Mm-hmm. Or how we would do that, we're still finding our way. I think it was a little more obvious in the internet that there would be a lot of processes, many of which we didn't know, but a lot more that would be enabled by the internet and by the Gutenberg press. Same thing here; it's more modeled, meaning how does you how does that knowledge actually intertwine with humans? And since it's now at a higher level at knowledge and it's more personal, it's likely to run into more adoption challenges than i think what i'll call more fundamental technology Uh, it can be discretionarily ignored it doesn't have to change your opinion and uh whereas you know whether i'm going to choose to get into a car you know or not that you know it doesn't change your opinion a whole lot if you gotta go 50 miles you ain't walking it and if you want to read something the book has got to get to you you're not going to walk to the book right and uh, but here with knowledge it's very discretionary on how it enters the human mind and affects things
0: this has been a whole AI conversation. So I, this will be the, the last thing I that's a, yeah, and that's okay. I think it's on <laughs> people's and minds anyway. So. It makes sense. But uh so yeah, I was reading the Educause Review. Educause, of course, happened fairly recently. Um, and you wrote you co-wrote an article about AI, and um this is actually less about AI, yeah. but in it there was referenced another article from Educause Review about being the integrative CIO. And uh and, you know, in the context of this, it was leveraging AI in order to become that integrative CIO. I was wondering if you could expand on that concept. Yeah, talk about the integrative CIO and how that role has evolved over time, I think is the is the question.
1: Uh, I've known Jack Seuss for a number of years. He served on the board with me one attack, you' was chairman of the board oh, uh, when I I think when I first entered in, uh, to the board with One in Tech. And I think the concept that he and EDUCAUSE put out is a good one because uh, I've, I've often thought the CIO role as chief integration officer. And they say, well, integration of what? Well, integration of many things, integration of technology, integration of organizations that use technology, integration of thought patterns and mental models and how we think about technology. So my job is to try to make sure that the organization can adopt and use the technology appropriately. And that and by and large, uh, the big side effect of that technology is new integrative capabilities for the enterprise. Uh, Because with information systems, especially numerical systems, finance systems, things like that, broad RAS of information and numbers can be brought together in an integrated fashion, far, far, far easier than it could be years ago. So it allows organizations to get bigger without getting falling under their own weight. Uh, so I think that integration component spills also into the political and organizational component because we have to be the glue to help provide the, 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 the combinations available from technology and strategy, uh, or the binding force, so to speak. So I think that's a, a very good concept. Um, I've been starting to think lately with AI, we're all in knowledge management now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because everything is about knowledge. And that's probably a good, we probably should have been thinking this way since the beginning of knowledge management, but we were so busy doing data management, we couldn't quite get on it. Uh, And so I think now with AI, we're desperately into this knowledge management realm, which then leads to the question, integration of knowledge. Mm. Now it's getting certainly well beyond the CIO because everybody has to be thinking about how do I integrate knowledge from different domains to provide new answers and new solutions. But the CIO has a sort of a Sherpa role to play. We help people in their journey to integrate knowledge.
0: Yeah, and you know, you, you see things with like workplace technology, business operations, continuous improvement. A lot of that comes from this domain as well, or it's coming more yeah. and more from this domain.
1: Yeah, AI is not a shot you give yourself to suddenly do better, it's also an exercise regime. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a lifestyle and a habit uh, to support good use of the tech. Interesting, I like that.
0: You know, on that note there, the cliche about choosing to work smarter rather than harder. Uh, if there were some ways yes. that adage could be applied to ITS operation or project work, what would they be?
1: Oh, uh, I'm, you know, you're, you're irritating something here in me. Um, not in a bad way, in a very good way. Right. I'm a huge fan of the measured self, and I don't mean measurement, you measure everything. I mean how you feel you best measure what you do, whatever that, however that, however that measurement approach is. But the idea here is, if I begin a proposition, how do I begin it with the idea of how can I accelerate my performance or skill with this proposition as I go? So I enter with two mo- no, thoughts in mind. I gotta finish this paper, but I also have to invent a way to finish it faster. And if I get in the habit of doing both of those things with absolutely everything I do, you can be astounded at how much time you can save yourself. Mm. Now, the people say, well, that's too hard. I don't have time to think of that. Well, there's a relationship here. (laughs) You don't have time to think of it, and, and so you don't have time. So if you start thinking about it, you find yourself time. And it's kind of a rigor of thought, a discipline and rigor of thought to do that. But I think it's a very important thing we should do. So as we invent our manufacturing methods, we should also be inventing how do we speed up that that method or how do we speed it up so much it goes away, mm-hmm. right? That's architecture and engineering and designing quality up front that reduces the need for downstream fixes and other things that you have to do. Uh, and if everybody, if all 400 people in ITS just do that every day of their lives you'd be astounded how much time you could save
0: and that relates to uh, lean and, thinking as well
1: uh, and by the way it doesn't mean we're gonna let you go no we've got this pile of work yes <laughs> that, you know we want to now push through the faster manufacturing process and hopefully some of it's way more interesting uh right. work uh, uh and leaning edge work for people
0: fantastic um, well, you know, we're, we've come up upon the end, but I did want to ask again. You, you recommended a book to me over the summer about ANNs, uh, artificial neural networks, and oh yeah, uh, yeah. So I wanted to ask you about. Well, I picked the number three, but you can just choose for yourself. What are three books you would recommend to our listeners? And oh my! Not just goodness. about AI, anything. Yeah.
1: Um. Well, there's a new book out by uh, a researcher, I think, in Richard, Florida, called Megacities. And it's how the connection between cities is building talent, especially in the tech industry. That's one I definitely want to read. I've been reading, following some of his work, and I've read some other work that he's done. Um, I'm making my way through Stephen Hunt's book, Talent Tectonics. Um, and he's talking about changes in talent management and so I'm picking my way through that one. Uh, so, you know, I would certainly encourage that one. Um, I'm I'm more of a paper reader. right? So these are my AI papers I've been reading <laughs> and I got more over there. And uh, so I will say that I think some of the work by economists and social scientists out of MIT and Stanford, especially Eric and and, and group, uh, have been outstanding and pointing the way on how AI is being used and how it can be successfully applied in actual business situations. So there's a couple of papers I can reference there, but, but, uh, I think the book that I really looking forward to is mega cities and I'm making my way through talent tectonics right now.
0: I would think that this is a hidden benefit of our position at the university
1: is access to the Geisel's collection. And I do this all digitally. Yeah. And so it's fantastic. And what's happened in the last five or six years, especially in this so much is produced digitally uh, and pre-publication. And this paper here, Generative AI at work by Eric Frenjolfston, um, I strongly recommend people read that. It's a bit of a technical one, but the conclusions are pretty understandable. Uh, that's a very good read. What else do I have here? I have a fascination with super intelligence papers. Mm-hmm. I find them rather funny. Yeah. Uh, so everybody's worried about will the computers get super intelligent? I said, right. that maybe we can always unplug them. Yeah. Uh, about so, the whole
0: evil robot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, but I'm trying to follow a track of research that's not, re- not research, called speculation on are there limits to artificial intelligence, just like there are limits to human intelligence? For sure. And are the limits similar? So, there's a real recent paper where scientists have taken uh, the concept of working memory, this paper here, and applied uh, frameworks of measuring working memory in humans and applied it to OpenAI, ChatGPT, and discovered oh my gosh, OpenAI has similar working memory limitations as humans. That is fascinating. Yeah, huh. really fascinating. And, and, you know, so I think this this fear we have of the super overlord driven by sci-fi uh, and <laughs> natural human fear of spiders and things like that um, has created this whole thing. So part of me is like, I, I think there's probably some limits to this. We don't really have to be as afraid as we think we should be. And we can always unplug it. Yeah. Fascinating.
0: And just for anyone who's listening, it is a, a healthy stack of papers that Vince just held up for the camera.
1: Yeah, it's about... Eight inches high,
0: so. (laughs) Well, it's 1030. I appreciate the time. This has been really fun. I think this is our best one yet. So thank you for joining me again on The Current Podcast. Okay, thank you. Do it anytime. Absolutely. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT Services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.